Well, Matt, uh, this week we can definitely determine that uh, no one at GM, that being General Motors, listens to Software Defined Talk. And the reason <laughs> I say that is uh, we, we did it all last week. And I think last week, one of the things we talked about in relationship to Docker was like, you can't really take things away. Taking things away just angers people, especially if they're either perceived as free or low value. So this week, it has come to our attention that GM is going to take away Apple CarPlay and Android Auto for all their future electric vehicles. So uh, the reason they're doing this is, uh, from the article here, is, quote, this is all about creating a better, more integrated experience for future EV customers that will give them all they need and more over time, end quote. And more. I was thinking to myself, and I would like to get your opinion, of all kind of the forced software we're we're forced to use, I guess, in our lives, right? That the, uh, the infotainment that comes with vehicles Maybe you know, probably top five worst software that we are forced <laughs> on a daily basis. And I was going to quickly recap, uh, you know, in my in the lifetime of where I've actually owned a car or like someone, you know, let me use a car. I was going to quickly recap the the systems that I've, we've been forced to use. So, and I would like to, you can kind of chime in, tell me where you you kind of pick up on this car journey. First car that I drove on a regular basis, tape deck only. Right. Yeah. But of course, this was during the time when everyone was getting CDs, which I know is probably crazy now. So what you had to do is you got like a Sony Discman and then uh-huh. you could uh, if, if you were really fancy, you could put it on some type of like, uh, you know, leveling shock absorbing stand in your car. Yeah. Right. Yep. And then you would take uh, essentially a tape adapter. Right. So you plug it into I the had that. Yep. You put in the tape adapter and you could play CDs through the tape into your car. So that was like phase yes. one. An absolute hellish experience. It didn't really work. The CDs would skip. There were numerous problems with it. Then well, you and your car would get broken into and they stole my disc man. Yes, and, and, and I my had the same thing. Broke a window. They sealed the disc man. They take your CDs and it didn't even work that well. So that was sort of phase one, right? Then phase two was like, well, we got to the point that we potentially got um, some... Uh, an actual CD player, right? So that was yes. good, right? And uh, but you can only play one CD at a time. So sometimes you would actually they would put like an extra CD switcher like in the trunk. Remember this? I, I had I had one of those cartridges. Yeah, oh, like the six disc cartridge. Right, right. But of course, around this time, of course, MP3 players started to show up. Yep, so yep. again, you either had to go old school, M, you know, essentially a headphone jack to tape adapter or around this time, they would, some decks would have like an auxiliary port, right? Yeah, that, was, maybe, that was it. You could plug it in. And at that point, you're like, great, an auxiliary port. That was like a miracle. You're like, this is phenomenal. And that was a point of where it was like, they're actually making life better for us. Go ahead. You, you know what, what I had though, I had uh, an FM transmitter. Oh, I've forgotten about that. This was like, yeah, you plugged in your, uh, you had to plug it into the headphone jack, right? And then you would set like it to like 88.1 exactly. on your dial. And then you exactly. pick. And then you, so that was sort of like the, the poor man's Bluetooth, right? Exactly. And then around this time, you know, after that was like, well, maybe Bluetooth started to show up, but it was kind of only for the phone, right? Like you could maybe take a phone, a phone call, but not our call. I'm oh, sorry, not all cars rather would actually let you play music to it. So again, you were back to the MP3 player that you may, maybe had. 
I often found that the best way to do it was back to the tape adapter, right? You could basically use the tape adapter. You could hook up either what was an iPad or a prehistoric iPad and actually play some music. Um, and because around this time, it, it seems crazy. Like the auxiliary report was there for a while, but then it started to come off, right? People did yeah. it like the, the, car, the essentially car companies decided that they didn't like it because it, they, you could use other stuff. So right, magically, right. it sort of it, almost as quickly as it showed up, it started to phase out of vehicles. And, and, and they started making it so the, the CD player could play uh, data CDs. Loaded MP3 with MP3, files, right? Yeah, yes. which was nuts. Who I mean, who who have like you know? Oh, here's my you know my you know gigabyte of of MP3s on a CD, and now I have to you know sort through 500 different tracks with the stupid you know interface. Absolutely, but everyone horrible. remembers because right? this is what you would do. Like if you were sort of like you know hacking the system, you would create a CD of like a hundred tracks, and then you'd kind of put them in some order. Ugh. Maybe you put some metadata on it. Maybe it could read it. Maybe it couldn't. Most of the time, it just had some like weird thing that said MP3. Uh, and then of course you had to like put it in there. But of course, if anyone got in the car, they had no idea what was in there. They couldn't see what was going on. So you're kind of back stuck with that, right? Then, you know, we fast forward a little bit further and it's like we all have some kind of smartphones, right? And we all have these different apps and this is going on for a while. And then we're in just this just hell situation where maybe Bluetooth at this point is kind of working with audio. But of course, you can't doesn't really work with the phone. And then by some miracle, we have gotten to the point that like CarPlay, which is what I use. It's actually pretty good. It's like, yes, you can put up the phone in CarPlay. The music plays well, and you can easily change things. You can switch your apps. You can go to audiobooks. You can go to podcasts. And, and the sound is really good. Because the other thing I always mention around the stupid tape uh, deck adapter is like you always had to come up with, like, nothing was ever leveled correctly. Either your oh. MP3 player was, like, too high or it was too low in the volume. So they finally figured this out. So I never thought I'd say this. And I don't know Android Auto. I'm just going to say it's probably pretty good. I bet you the Android people I'm are sure it's it. fine. And it's good. But, like, it's just, like, a natural – it's, like, what we want in software. Here's a natural API, a place to integrate – my car, of course, has its own infotainment stuff. It's all garbage. I never use any of it, but it, it's fine that it's there, right? Of course, if things in the car have to get done, air conditioning, stuff like that, of course, I use that system. But otherwise, 100% CarPlay. So I guess at this point, I feel like we're, we're in the golden age, right? Because it's about to all change. We're like, this is the moment <laughs> where like, all of this electric vehicle stuff, oh. Tesla's already done this. There's no CarPlay. I don't know about Rivian. People said Rivian doesn't have it. And now GM, because I keep thinking to myself, GM, Honda, Toyota, the quote unquote regular car manufacturers will just give us EVs with like really simple interfaces, right? And we can just use CarPlay. But no, now it looks like they're all going to take it away from us and we're going to be back. I don't even know what we're going to be using because now the tape adapter, there are no tape decks and none of the iPhones or mobile devices have the, uh, if you will, the headphone jack port. So I guess we're all just going to be stuck with Bluetooth. And I don't, I, I don't feel like it's too late. I think we have to rise up and start a resistance against this movement. Like the first vehicle to actually go out <laughs> and offer us CarPlay to free us from the tyranny of the infotainment wow. systems of the future. Um, I don't know. You know, it's never too early to start a revolution. So am I overreacting? <laughs> like, what, what do you think? Well, um, you're going to be pretty disappointed. My 2021 Nissan has no, like, entertainment center. It's just got, like, a straight-up stereo that, uh, you know, controls, controls. It's got a DVD, a CD player. 
uh, but no like touch screen. It's still buttons and knobs. You got no CarPlay. Um, you got nothing. You got just like straight. I, I, well, no, I, I've got a USB jack, so I can okay. plug in. It's got an iPod c- connection, so if I okay. if I charge my phone, it'll it'll put my phone on there, and and it only does like the music. It doesn't do podcasts, and it's mm. got, got Bluetooth. I can you, you can know, play send, that one, and, right? and the Bluetooth allows me to uh, pause, stop, and skip. You know, that's that's it. So it's. It's actually fine, I, but but the, my takeaway from this article was was I went and started looking at aftermarket CarPlay stuff because <laughs> I, like, <laughs> right. I was like, "Hey, I, I think I'd like you know because um, New South Wales uh, has some pretty strict laws about using a cell phone while you're driving. Um, if you so so when you have like a, a traffic offense or whatever, you, you get demerits here. And if you get too many demerits, you lose uh, you you get your license bumped down to a provisional plate, a P plater, uh, which is like you're not allowed to drive after dark and, you know, you can't go certain speeds. And um, <clears throat> so if you get 13 demerits in one year, you get knocked down a, a cell phone. Um, you getting caught on camera with the cell phone in your hand is uh-huh. 10 demerits. Oh, okay. So that's basically so you're you're you know you're you're, you're right? two thirds of the way to losing your you know losing your ability to drive for using your cell phone. Um, so like, I've gotten a little extra paranoid about it because I, I I knew they had cameras and mm-hmm. and now they're using like ML uh you know AIML to like you know <laughs> to uh, actually is he, is he holding oh, a banana? A you know. is that a <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So so you know I've gotten more paranoid about it. So I was looking at the CarPlay stuff and uh-huh. you know so. CarPlay aftermarket stuff starts, you know, three hundred dollars to five hundred, you know, to you know, two thousand, you know, depending on how, how if you're going for the half height or the the full height. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, so my my car would be a half height because uh, it's it's literally just like the little radio interface with you know, yeah, it's it's, it's just the standard stereo, so it would be okay. Um, so I I have looked at that, my, but my takeaway was like. Yeah, GM, whatever. I would go aftermarket before I use your software, probably. Well, um, that's what I worry about, though, because I don't know. The whole electric vehicles and the way that they're, like, wedded, the operating systems are kind of wedded to, like, running the whole thing. So I wonder, you know, what kind of aftermarket uh, options will be. But it, it does. It is. What I guess I should say here is that they're going to replace it. GM is going to be using a operating system built by Google, which is not Android Auto. So I don't know. It, that whole thing is confusing. But I guess uh, Google is, is that- developing like a low-level you know, automotive operating system, which, again, I don't know, just worries me in general because Google just has this like well, Google does have products. They do have like an alternate real-time operating system that they, I think it's open source, that they recently have started up. Um, and the thinking was it was going to eventually become a phone OS, but um, so maybe it's some variant. Maybe it's it. that, but still, like, why not Linux? I, you know, at this point, I don't know why you would do anything else. Well, but I guess let me be clear. It's like, listen, I'm fine with people trying to make things better and like offering us something better. Who doesn't? I'm want just skeptical. That? Like, <laughs> like <the same laughs> I don't know. No, no. like, yes, this industry more so than almost anything deserves skepticism. Is just an understatement. And two, it's like. No one is saying, I'm not saying add CarPlay and do nothing and like only do that. I'm just like, you already have done the work. It's already working. It's like, I don't even want to oversell CarPlay. I think CarPlay is very good. I like it, but it's just, you know, it's like we like to stand here and software and find out. It's just fine. Like it does the things you want. It's well, very simple. It lets we, you play music. What we, want, what we want is things that disappear into the background. 
Right. And that's kind of what it is. It's like with you put no it friction. In that that's that's all it. anybody wants. And, and so the fact that they're going out of their way to take this out under the quote pretense, and I hate this. This is the whole thing where it's disingenuous. It's like, we're going to make it a better unified experience. Like, listen, if you really believe that, then just develop your better integrated experience and just leave CarPlay in there as sort of like, okay, well, if you know if that doesn't work for you, you know, we'll give you CarPlay. But it's like, you know, if you will compete on an open playing field, be like, I'm going to make because that would be a great challenge. We're going to build such a great experience into the uh, default infotainment system that no one will even want to use CarPlay. Okay, great. Bring, go for it. That's a great challenge. I remain skeptical, but I'd like you to do it. But the fact they're actually going to take it out just means that, like, obviously there's some kind of, like, they believe that we'll get people to buy the car and then force them to pay for some, like, you know, $20 a month service, right? And it's like, and it's going to be awful. Like every one of these, somebody in the chat just mentioned, uh, I didn't even get to it. It was about the uh, Ford uh, Sync in vehicles, Microsoft Sync and Ford vehicles. I don't know if you ever experienced that one, but another no. weird. Uh, I, I've had that in a rental and yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> but you know, you just said it the best. Like all of like most of us have experienced these other systems in rental cars, which is another key observation for the people building cars that like, hey. Maybe, maybe these things that we put in rentals, like maybe people don't really like them. Maybe they're just forced to use them. So, uh, so I, for one, just want to say GM, you know, it's not too late. You can walk this back. Obviously everybody's reacting poorly to it. I think we are one of like many hundreds of maybe hundreds of thousands of people that are frustrated by it. So maybe they will, maybe they'll take the feedback and be like, Whoa, we took it too far. We're going to give you uh, CarPlay. But until then, I'll tell you one thing I won't be getting is a GM vehicle. So, so take that, <laughs> take that GM. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, listen, let's uh, enough about complaining around, um, you know, electric vehicles. Let's complain about some software in uh, enter- enterprise software as we like to do. So two things I wanted to check in real quick and then we'll get on to some more fun stuff because it's just been, you know, I think these things have been out here for a while. So one is Broadcom and VMware. So it's probably been like a year since uh, the acquisition was announced. Yeah. And I felt like this was just one of those things that was just like, yeah, I mean, you know, like it. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So, but I guess in over in the UK, the Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA, is uh, taking a deeper look at it. And so the thing that I thought was funny about it is that the reason they give here is, uh, quote, uh, VMware's dominant position in server virtualization. And I guess they're worried about that Broadcom would restrict the capability uh, of the platform to just um, using Broadcom silicon silicon components. So that's ridiculous. Yeah, so they're basically saying it's like, well, they're going to limit it based on on Broadcom's hardware. And I was like, this is the dumbest thing of all time. Like, of course they're not going to do this. This is like, it it makes no sense. They didn't get to where they are doing that, right? They they, they got there being an arms dealer, not being, you know. And you would lose, like, Broadcom would, like, lose a tremendous amount of money. Everyone would be mad. No one would buy it. It wouldn't work as well. So, So it's like, I don't know. This is always back and forth on, like, regulation. It's like. Sometimes, like, hypothetically, I'm always like, yeah, we should have more people involved in regulation. Then we get, like, the European pop-ups for, like, the privacy, the cookie pop-ups. And then we see stuff like this, and I get frustrated. Because yeah. what they, the article goes on to say is, like, no, what they are worried about is are, was this, is that VMware customers uh, expressed uh, different types of fears that Broadcom may hike the cost of licenses in order to drive process yes. profits and slow development uh, of updates and technical enhancements for products. So yeah, yes. that's 100% going to happen. Like we like, that is exactly what's going to happen. That's, that's what's going to happen. And, and I bet very, 
I bet like the Venn diagram of the CMA's thoughts and actual customers doesn't overlap. No customer's like, oh man, now they're going to make me buy Broadcom next. I just feel like someone from the CMA should read this. They should be like, wait a minute. The thing that we said is totally stupid. But if we just go down (laughs) one paragraph, they're telling us exactly what the problem is. And it's definitely going to happen. You know, so you oh, could yeah. just, so if you're the CMA, you would just say like, okay, this is definitely going to happen. Now, I don't but, think you can but, stop but a merger. It, it, yeah, I mean, if, if 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 the if the CMA like reads that, then they're going to stop all like private equity. Right, that's what I think. <laughs> but I just, it's just like so weird. It's like, well, like the CMA, it's like, listen, just what you said. It's like, yes, this is what a private equity, or in this case, a large uh, corporation is going to do. And if you want to stop it because of that, fine. Going to have other problems, just like you, as you referenced, Matt. Everyone's going to do it. Uh, but for, you know, but there's just no reason. This other like nonsense reason they're making up is just confusing everyone. So, so I just wanted to make their life easier. All the CMA people, it's like, guys, you know, you, we know what's going to happen here. Uh, this chip thing is total nonsense. I don't even know who's making it up. I don't know what lobbyists came up with that, but just kick them out of the room and you can decide if you want to do the merger and let's, let's just get it done. Right. Cause you know, I, I need to take this off the list of topics for software defined talks. I want to, you know, I want to get it done. CMA. Th- think of the listeners. Yeah, think of the listeners and think of us trying to talk about it. So, all right, so we fixed the the problem with VMware. The other thing, I just have this on the watch list, so we don't even have to really talk about it, but I just want to, uh, Nutanix CIO exits after, um, you know, the whole mess of basically misusing software. So the story here is they were, quote, unquote, using the evaluation software of some unknown vendor to, if you will, validate that their integration was work, working. So it's like, I don't know. Who knows what vendor they could have been talking about? Probably they were using the evaluation version of VMware to test that like the virtual machines were still running. That's I don't have any hard evidence. Oh, I see. That I, went I, down, I, 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 I had heard it was happening. was Oracle that they were they were maybe testing it, okay maybe like, it's Oracle. You know, like, they they were using test licenses for Oracle databases on their stuff to validate things and like yeah that's actually a production use. I, I could be Oracle. I just feel like my feeling is it's more VMware. But like, I mean, who knows? But it's going to come out. So I just, a, yeah, they I just up. have this on the watch list. So this basically what happens here is they weren't, uh, if you will, officially uh, able to like, you know, disclose their earnings because they basically have to figure out how they're going to address this, right? And so it looks like they fired their CIO. That, that person is taking the blame for it. I don't know. Maybe that person really, you know, who knows? I just feel yeah. like the somewhere end, they've probably, got a memo that says don't pay for software. Check right. Here. It's, I mean, I always, you know, <laughs> it just feels like the CIO probably had nothing. I'm not saying nothing. I mean, hey, it was under her watch, so I'm sure she got paid well, but it's it, just it rolls up so, yeah. So, but I do think it's just one of those things. It's like, okay, it's been a multi year period. They have got 60 days to respond to the NASDAQ. So, like, again, probably nothing, probably something they just have to like get worked out, but kind of, I don't know. I just think it's a little interesting. It's like one of these little, uh, Matt Levine type things that sort of just sits out there as like a footnote in earnings. And then later on, boom, the whole world is ending because something happened. So I just, I just want to say we continue to watch it. And I think, um, but it does make me think to myself, uh, it didn't make me look at my PC or my, my Mac and be like, do I have anything installed here that I'm like, no, not, am I doing anything wrong? Like I didn't, well, I didn't uh, want to make sure, but it, I mean, it, it, for everyone listening, it's like, I don't have any uh, uh, evaluation software installed. So um, I, right I, I do like my uh, oh, Windows, oh. Windows on, 11. Do I, need to, do I need to mute this out? Do I need to edit this section out? Don't don't uh, <laughs> commit any crimes. All right, I'll be quiet. But mm. I'm just saying, there's a watermark every time I turn on Windows. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. 
<laughs> that's true. Well, I actually do want to know like how this went down, right? Because the other thing is they had like a CEO change, right? I think in the in the last couple of years. So that was the other part is like I wonder if it was like back to like different executives viewing things differently. So so yeah, we're just we're just putting that on the watch list. We're gonna see what happens. Uh, and again, I'll have a special emergency episode with Matt Levine coming out if uh, <laughs> where we go over the earnings. <laughs> specifically for that so uh, all right moving on to other news you know Matt, this isn't necessarily new news but i thought it was fun for us to talk about uh yeah there's a nice thread that was posted this week about the origins of the github business model uh, i know you kind of looked through it you want to like you want to maybe give us a quick overview of like what is the business model they came up with and like you know kind of how they came to be how it came to be um yeah so you know, github started uh as I'm trying to remember which podcast I listened to where they had an interview with this guy, but uh, uh, it was it was kind of a side project of a couple of folks who'd been using um, Git and decided, hey, you know, it needs a better interface, and started sharing it with some of their friends. And you know, at first it was free because they didn't really know like have a business model in mind. Um, and then they said, well, you know what? What we'll do is we'll make public repositories free and private repositories. Um, we'll charge some nominal amount uh, to host them and we'll see how that goes. And the, the amount they decided on was $7 because that was uh, the least their credit card processor would let them charge. <laughs> yeah, I know that was a funny note. I think the whole thing here was kind of interesting because uh, in the thread, they go through that the obvious um, business model or the one that was probably being recommended to, them to the most was advertising. And so they were pretty adamant they wanted oh, yeah. no ads, right? So I thought that was interesting. And um, like, I don't remember, like SourceForge, like I feel like, well, like SourceForge oh was- SourceForge was overridden with ads. Right. And SourceForge, was it just- And malware. I, don't, I can't even remember like what SourceForge, like what could you, could you put anything on SourceForge? Or like, what, I, what was it actually, what was actually up there? They, they, they definitely hosted, host packages. Um, so, okay. so you could put builds on there. Um, and they would like, you'd click on it and then it would make you wait through like a 30 second ad for your download to start, uh, or, you know, or whatever they would do pop-ups. They would do all sorts of like click throughs for your downloads. It was, it was annoying. And, and so SourceForge had, I'm pretty sure they had hosted, um, Subversion, but I don't remember if they had Git and Google had Git. Um, wasn't very good, but they had Git and Subversion also, I think. Um, but yeah, when when GitHub came out, uh, it was it, what what I mean. What made it you know really different was the fact that uh, you know they gave it away for free and they greatly encouraged all you know open source projects. You know, they're like, hey, we'll host you for free and you know go nuts. And the t- kind of the turning point for GitHub was when. Our good friend DHH brought Rails over. <laughs> oh, really? Was that we yeah? Like, got it really? Oh, interesting. Uh, that was that was like the uh, man. Now I need to track down the podcast, but it was. Uh, uh, it, I mean, that was like the big inflection point was when they brought Rails over because they were they were Ruby developers and um, you know who had started GitHub and and uh, you know when they brought you know and so they were active in the Ruby community and you know Ruby had some that poor tools around, you know, source control uh, things. But when, you know, but they, they got a lot of those, you know, Ruby projects on board early. And then Rails was kind of like, right when it was, right after it had taken off, they moved over to GitHub. And, and that was like, you know, a double inflection point for, for both projects. Um, 
so yeah, a lot of the early success of GitHub is tied to the early success of you know Rails and other stuff. And now, of course, you know it's it's you know ubiquitous. Um, you know, I think uh, the Apache Foundation might still do some of their own hosting, but everything is is up on uh, GitHub these days. Yeah. Well, the other thing that kind of jumped out, they don't really say this in the thread, but I, I just think, you know, kind of putting on more like the strategic marketing, you know, if you will, thought around it. It was like, they, I, I'm going to say they kind of fell into it, but they sort of kind of fell into like the best possible kind of content marketing. It's like, essentially, they were allowing anyone to put up source code, which was like making up the content that lots of people wanted to see on the site so it kind of like you know if you will it kind of sort so i guess if rails is a tipping point it's sort of like once it gets going once that snowball gets going and like all the source code of that's interesting of interesting projects is there then suddenly you have everybody looking at it getting used to the site and then oh you know it makes total sense of like when it comes time to host your own project of course you're going to go to github now the other part like i wasn't sure if i just could not remember on like uh so i wasn't sure if this is like revisionist history or not was when they made um, private, uh, basically you had to pay for private repos. Like, was that controversial at the time, or was that always? Was that always like, yeah, of course we need to pay because it's private. I just, I can't. I don't no, know. I, 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 it, it, being like, oh, people are like, why, why do I have to pay for private? Or, or am I just? No, no, I, it wasn't really. I mean, I, it was never that controversial. I, I remember, I remember, um, like people deciding to make things public rather than pay, uh, which is, you know, an unintended consequence uh, or, you know, a, a beneficial side effect. But then, of course, that gave rise to the whole, like, people were just putting things public but not putting licenses on them. And so then it kind of gave rise to this whole, like, you know, what, I'm using this code that I found on GitHub, but it doesn't have a license. What's the default license? And so that was another, like, you know, part of the evolution of, of oh, GitHub. Oh, that's right. So it was like, yeah. what can you do with this? And then it was what can like, you do with like, this if it doesn't have a license? And you're like, you know, well, avoid how does it work that. Now? Does everything automatically get like, a license appended the, to the, it the wizard, uh, you know, like you encourages you. I think you can still say none, but I think it defaults to <laughs> it might default default. Apache because it's alphabetical. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I mean, you can, of course, you could just push a whole like repository in without going through the wizard. But um, the wizard does have a license picker before you create a new repo. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so, okay. so they're, 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 you know, they're trying to poke that up. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, they, they gently push you towards picking something. So there's no confusion around it. Now, when you first saw GitHub, like back in the day, I'll just, I'll go first. Then you can say, it's like, when I first saw the site and I was like, and I was kind of looking at it. And of course, like I really, as we've kind of covered before, I'm not like the biggest fan of Git, nor do I have to use it very much. So I'm not really, you know, the person paying for it or doing it. But I remember seeing it for the first time being like, this, this site is never going to work. This whole thing is totally going <laughs> to And I remember there was some like controversy around some of the executives. I don't know. I can't remember exactly what it is. They went through some leadership changes and there was like, I don't know, there was some kind of infighting and stuff like that. But I remember thinking to myself, this company will never make it. There's no business here. And they were having all these like internal problems. So I would say 100% wrong. Obviously they went on to be hugely successful. Now, when you saw it, were you like, what was your take? Were you like, it's going to be successful? Did you have a read on this one early or did, were you just... Um, I, I, I thought it was going to be successful. I didn't think it was going to be as huge as it became. Um, I mean, cause it, it, it just had a very slow and steady growth, you know, I mean, but steady was like very steady, you know, when, when you grow like, you know, I don't know, 20% a year that adds up fast. And so, 
you know, at first I was like, this is better than the alternatives. You know, I mean, immediately I was like, this is better than, you know, Google's code hosting. Um, this is better. You know, SourceForge had already turned into a dumpster fire. Um, <laughs> it, it's still there. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I haven't been back to this, the way we talk about it. We talk about it like it's completely gone. At least to me, it's completely gone. Like I, I hated SourceForge for everything. I never like, in fact, I haven't been to that site in like years. So yeah, so that yeah. was, it was clear that whatever they were doing was better than that. Now, the other thing that I've really liked about this in the thread that I thought was good, this is a good lesson for like, I don't know, call it product management or just whatever, uh, implementing uh, features, or I guess you say, let me say this, pricing uh, enforcement or licensing enforcement versus just getting people to pay. So one of the things he points out here was that uh, when you first signed up for a private repo, you had a certain amount of collaborators right? and you had to pay for more. And so they basically talked about, I guess, with somebody who was like, they were going to implement all the different guardrails to prevent that people from, you know, abusing the system and not uh, having, or rather having too many private collaborators. But then they decided that like, it was just too much work at that point and they had other stuff to work on. So they just never implemented any checks. And they said, uh, this is the quote, uh, for years, you could have unlimited collaborators on private repos and GitHub, despite what the paid plan said. Uh, almost nobody abused the system and we instead focused on bigger problems. And it's like, that's just such a good, I feel like anything with like pricing, especially like in a SaaS, it's like wait until you have a lot of people using it and uh, wait until you have a lot of people that are really abusing it before you spend a lot of time writing all the code to enforce the restrictions. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that this like worked out so well, because GitHub seems like this seems like one that would be easy to abuse. Um, The fact that they waited so long to do it is just like, I don't know, just another example of a lesson well learned here. Yeah, I mean... You know, I've been involved in companies that have tried to do like, you know, call home and anti, anti, you know, uh, piracy stuff. And it's just like, you know, the number of people who are going to abuse your system versus the amount of engineering hours you have to put in to like enforce this stuff is usually not worth it. Right. Um, I mean, the bad actors. Yeah, there there will be some, um, you know, I've, everywhere I've been has had a, you know, a few bad actors here and there like Nutanix. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you know, in hindsight, it's usually like, yeah, that was a lot of, you know, tempest in a teapot kind of stuff where, um, these things will sort out. You'll see, hopefully, you know, you'll have so much business traction that you'll see, you know, where the opportunities are for, uh, um, you know, to, to monetize, you know, properly, uh, without getting like, you know, overly, overly, uh, heavy handed, but, uh, yeah, it, it worked out well for, for GitHub. Yeah, no, I think they did a good job. And so it's just a nice success story, you know, Todd Devine. And I guess, you know, I went out there now. It's like, I went out to GitHub and it's like, there's all kinds of pricing plans and they have all kinds of different options. So obviously it's grown up into a big business. I I, I don't know. I guess in the end, I'd, I'd say, uh, Matt, you're going to stand in for the audience on this. Like GitHub still, like, obviously it's widely used. People still really happy with it. You think, is there like a need for, uh, you know, because it's been a while now. It's probably been like, I don't know how many years. Like, are we coming up on... 15 10 like was it 2007 some so it's like you know at some point it's like monitoring systems like everyone gets tired of the thing they have and something new emerges like are we getting to the point that like the next the github 2.0 is on the horizon there's some new version of version control that people want or are people or, or is it just fine i i think i think for all its warts people are pretty happy with git um yeah it's it's not the most user-friendly but it's definitely uh ubiquitous and so i don't really think there's a lot of uh momentum for anything to displace it um i think you know it, it's it's one of those things where if 
if there was some deficient feature and there have been, you know, there were things like large handling, large uh, binaries. Um, and so like Microsoft and, and others uh, contributed code uh, for, uh, I think it's called like the Git FS or, you know, it's large file support inside of Git. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that kind of stuff was really popular in like uh, movie studios and game studios where they had, you know, images and, and things that, you know, were stored in source control. Um that was like one of the things that Perforce was supposedly really good at. And um, they brought that to get, you know, the, the UI UX problems, those are always there. Right. Um, but I think, uh, you know, they're trying to slowly, you know, edge out, you know, take off the rough edges and with enough education and training, um, <laughs> you know, hide, hide, hide some of the, the complexity and try to, put people on a, a fairly narrow path of Git usage. I think that will probably work. I mean, because I remember when I first started using Git, like CVS, I went, you know, I went like RCS to CVS to Subversion. And with Subversion, I just kind of had like a little, you know, post-it note, um, you know, uh, of just like, here are the things you have to remember. And then when I got to Git, I was like, I'm going to need a bigger post-it note. <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, you know, the post-it note was like, I had to read a book. Um, but, uh, but now I feel pretty comfortable. I, you know, I understand what's going on. Um, you know, I, I have used some of the like crazier commands, like, you know, bisect and things. I don't, but I don't think, feel like most people need to use those things. I think, you know, if you just, you know, fork, rebase, merge, you're good most of the time. And I think GitHub, the UI UX does a good job of, of hiding some of that from you. Well, I'll tell you who doesn't like GitHub is your dog. And I'm right there with it, <laughs> with your dog. And so like, I don't really have it though. Uh, Brian in the chat here, he, he tells us that as of 20, 20, or 2023, GitHub was estimated to be generating $1 billion in annual recurring revenue. So that's a pretty nice business. So one, it's like kind of always surprising to hear like how much money this is. So so I hope someone takes that as uh, an action item. It's like, you know what? There's a billion dollars in uh, SaaS revenue. So why don't you build something better? Be exciting. Anything is better. Because I've always had this vision that like Git, just the version control should be accessible to the kind of the non-developer, right? Like sort of like anyone could just version any type of document that they wanted in, in it. Um, and that's kind of like how simple it should be. Now, of course, like stuff like Google Docs that sort of just has versioning built into the whole system, that's even better, right? That's sort of what, what um, I guess the quote unquote normal people want. But I still think, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I guess maybe let's say it this way is like, I, I never can seem to learn Git. So uh, I just want something new to come out. So I don't even have to pretend anymore. I, maybe, maybe the next rev, the next revision of version control, I should actually uh, be able to, to master. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah. They'll just keep putting, but, you know, user-friendly UX is over it and, and you'll be fine. <laughs> well, you said, you know, I, I chuckled when you talked about the training. It's like, well, I've done the training multiple times. It's, it's pretty good. Like if you go through it, uh, it definitely, you definitely learn how to do it. And then you get to some point where you're like, okay, uh, I can get files in and out. And then you just stop. That's where I always just stop. And I never learned anything else. So, uh, so we'll see how it goes. All right. But congratulations to the people at GitHub. I do think it's a nice business story. And also think it's, uh, it is a very elegant business model. I think everyone that's aspires to start a company, if you can basically, if you will charge and have people developing content that people are interested in, uh, charge a real reasonable rate. I mean, that's what we all want. So it's like, it's just nice to highlight. Yeah. Somebody that's I mean, done it successfully. Nobody complains much about GitHub's pricing. Um, you know, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, there are alternatives, you know, GitLab is, is, is there, you've got, uh, um, 
the one from uh, Atlassian, but uh, most people are just like, you know, GitHub, it works. Everyone's familiar with it. It's not, you know, the pricing's fine. I can have it on-prem. I can have managed hosted. I can have it in the cloud. <laughs> you can have it wherever you want. So, yeah. so. All right. Well, you know, speaking of other tech successes, uh, man, I, you know, you are our resident uh, stock trader. So, oh, and I figured God. like, you know what? Everyone tunes in here for Matt Ray's uh, stock advice. That's what comes in. And I saw this uh, article in Axios this week and I thought it was interesting because what they do here is they, first they go through and they say is that, um, Tech, basically, it's the, the largest layoffs in a long time. And they've got a picture of like all the different tech companies. We've talked about some of them. Meta, 21,000. Amazon, 27,000. Google, 12,000. So anyway, we don't have to belabor that. Lots of people uh, have been laying off companies. And normally, that's uh, a good sign of recession. So Matt, do you know how tech stocks have been performing uh, as uh, up year to date after doing all these uh, um, layoffs? What would you guess? <laughs> Uh, mine or everyone else's? <laughs> well, we'll just say uh, Meta, Tesla, Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet. All these companies have had big layoffs. How have their stocks done? Uh, they've probably all done better. Extremely yeah. well. So Meta's Extremely up 71%. Well. Uh, Tesla's well, up 57%. Uh, hold on. Apple up 24 Microsoft 17 and Alphabet 15 So just like everybody knew... Uh, they had to do all these layoffs because stock prices are going to recession. The exact opposite has happened, which is on, frankly, it's good, right? I mean, that's we. Sh- I'm not like. Uh, I, th- I think, think some of them you can explain, though, right? I mean, no, like- hold on. This is where we're going to go to. Okay, so okay. this is okay. So you're our stock uh, expert, our research analyst. So we're going to basically say why has this happened, right? We're going to offer up three reasons, and you can come up with your own. Okay, one is that uh, Wall Street you know, actually saw the companies do all the layoffs. They're like, that's great. All you tech companies are now being very disciplined and you've got your uh, costs in a line and the general Wall Street has decided we're going to reward you with that uh, higher stock prices. That's sort of option one. By the way, I think that is total nonsense as if like, they're like, oh, great, you did what I want. We're going to do it. I just don't believe that's at all true. So that's sort of option one. Option two is, it's basically a new wave of enthusiasm. We've talked about chat GPT. Everyone's talked about generative AI. It's everywhere. So um, in general, there's just a lot of enthusiasm. So it's a wave of enthusiasm. We all feel like AI is coming. There's opportunities for everyone. And we all just feel a little bit better. Or, so that's sort of option two. We'll call that the the generative AI option. And then option three is just like, uh, it's this is just, uh, as they call it, quote unquote, the dead cat bounce. It's like, no, it's just like, like a head fake. It's like all this uh, stock prices are going to fizzle out. Their earnings are going to go down and stock prices are going to go down. And we just, we're just looking at it on a weird day in, in April that happens to be up. So I don't know, Matt, like do any of those uh, reasons, do they provide a rationale to you? Or do you have, do you have a Matt Ray special research bulletin <laughs> you want to issue right now? Uh, for everyone explaining your own thesis about why stocks are up, tech stocks are up. I, you know, no one should listen to me. Um, I, I've become, I've become more enchanted with uh, uh, John Maynard Keynes' animal spirits. Um, you're going to need a Ouija board to figure out some of this stuff. It's, uh, I, I, I do believe in the dead cat bounce for Meta. I think, I think, um, mm. and they're up the most too. So that's yeah, biggest, yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like you know they they made a public you know. Uh, reversal of their, you know, big investment in AR uh, or, or VR. And, you know, the stock market was like, finally, but 
I still think they're on a declining trend. Um, you know, long-term, um, just cause like whatever Facebook. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, I, I think, I think some of these companies are fairly insulate, you know, and, and definitely Google's, you know, their stock goes down when they make AI announcements, uh, you know, cause they, they get graded harder than Microsoft. Like, you know, there's just no, no, uh, you know, two bits about it. It's like, you know, they'll do the same demo and they'll both fail. And, you know, they're like, Oh, Microsoft, you know, yours is charmingly racist. Oh, Google, yours is terribly racist. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, they're definitely graded on a much higher curve. Right. Yeah. Like, they're, they're, it's, it kind of feels like they should be dominating and they're not. And it's just kind of, and they're, and they're just getting penalized for that. Right. So, well, but they're, they're not though. I mean, they're, you know, all of these stocks are up, um, you know, and, I, I guess <laughs> for the sake of transparency, I don't own, own any Alphabet. I don't own any Facebook. I have, uh, I have some Apple, uh, too much Amazon, um, but uh, they, they're not in your list of going up here. So um, get it together, Amazon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, I do think in the end, right, you know, it's, it's really about, you know, earnings is all about the narrative. And I just, I, I guess of all the reasons that I listen here, I just think it is one of those things. It's like, and it's, I think it's good for all of us in technology. It's like, I definitely chat GPT and generative AI. It's just, I just think there is just like more enthusiasm around it. Right. And it just kind of feels like we don't know who's going to make the most money. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but there's definitely a feeling of like, there's tons of opportunities. All of these companies that we mentioned are in position to benefit from it. And, uh, and it just like, I don't know, but I guess I kind of come back to my bigger point. It's like, obviously we're not, we don't, we're not stock pickers. We don't really know anything about stocks. This is not investment no. advice. You shouldn't do any, you know, don't follow us. Don't but do I do think I do. my core thesis of just like, no one knows anything. It just feels like as quickly as these companies are laying off, it's like, I feel like they're going to be hiring just as fast to be like, we got to roll out new chat GPT Absolutely. products. Like look at Microsoft more than anyone. They have so many different variations of Copilot and Google's got a bunch of stuff coming out. And you know, of course all these startups are going uh, there. So it's, it's just one of those things. I think it's like, maybe it's, it's uh if you will therapy for someone that maybe did get laid off it's just sort of like yeah it's frustrating but like things seem to be picking up and it'll probably be a few more months um but i bet you think a lot of people will be hiring again so uh, i don't know that's just my, my take on it so we'll see what happens now uh, we talked a little bit about google there uh, but we can't we can't not talk about google's uh recent i guess announcement that they'll be doing some uh cost cutting here and matt um in a scene that it feels like it could be plucked right out of television, right out of Silicon Valley. Um, Google was quote unquote, uh, if you will, taking away everyone's stapler, right? Uh, that was actually <laughs> written up. I actually had a double check when I looked at this. This was actually originally written um, by CNBC. And so they basically said that uh, staplers and tape are no longer being provided to print stations company-wide as part of a uh, cost effective effectiveness initiative so uh one let me just pause there matt can i get your take on on the staplers then we'll issue there were some follow-ups but we'll get into that what is your immediate thought on the staplers and google i'm gonna burn this place down i mean (laughs) yes my immediate reaction is office space i mean um seriously it's a print station it's going to be shared by you know i don't know 30 people uh, I mean, how much can a stapler cost, Michael? Um, <laughs> it's, I just can't see how this is cost savings. You know, the, the time that marketing spent 
fighting this stupid article probably costs more than all the staplers combined. I mean, this is just, it's just so dumb. I'm, you know, maybe, maybe don't say anything and just, you know, trim the numbers of office supplies, but you don't need to announce this kind all of right. dumb now, stuff. All right. Now, we are, um, we want to make sure that we're being journalists here. Like, in fairness, they did, Google did respond to CNBC, right? And they did say that staplers are still being provided. So they disputed the original story, uh, which, but I, I just feel like, okay, for one, I just think it must have been great to be in the Google comms team. Like, you know, this story comes out and gets a little traction, at least in the tech world. There's the obvious funny Silicon Valley uh, crossover. And it's like literally somebody in the comms group, I bet you got as high as a VP. Maybe they were like, what is going on? Who said this? What is going on? Someone send an email to CNBC that we still have staplers. Just to know that Google had a, a, a meeting, there was at least a two, two or three people talking about it is just fantastic enough, right? I just think that, and I, in fact, if I was CNBC, I would have printed the email and be like, I'm sorry, here's exactly what Google said about the staplers, just because it is so unbelievably uh, comically funny. Um, so I thought that part was good. Now, the other thing that I thought was in here was there literally is a line in the, um, I guess the Google internal comms that they sent out is that, quote, we baked too many muffins on Monday, seeing G buses run with just one passenger and offered yoga classes on Friday afternoon when folks are more likely to be working from home, said the document. So they're just talking about things that cost back. But again, like when you just read that se sentence, just like out of context, it seems totally absurd. Now, I also want to say this, is that uh, a friend uh, uh, had me down one day here in Austin to go to, uh, I went to lunch at the Google Austin facility. And I want to say this, it was fantastic. Oh, I thought yeah. the Google office <laughs> was awesome. I, I, I think it's probably the best office I've been in, or at least the office I would con conceivably could work in. Maybe yeah. there's something better like New York investment banking office or something that'd be better. But I was like, I loved it. I'm, I mean, the food was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Everything. I, the so I say this as like, great. Well, I say this mostly out of jealousy. Like, I wish I was there. I wish, like, I'm working at home. You know what we just have? We have Costco chicken in my house. We don't have any. There's no one cooking anything. <laughs> Not that good. Um, but we do. I'll tell you this, though, Matt. I do have a stapler. I was. I, I can hold it up for the streamer. I've got a stapler. I, I, I have to go over to my wife's print station, or I mean her desk, to borrow her stapler. Uh, but she has to come through my office to get to the printer. So, yeah. So it's, it's been fantastic, though, and it, it really is. Now, on a more serious note, there was another person that tweeted out that they basically said that Google um, had let most of the people that had authored that um, chat GPT paper, I guess was, all you need is attention, I think is what it's called, the transformer part of it. He said most of the people had left, and they both ra mostly raised venture capital, something on the order of $4 billion, and Google I guess, and not, you know, invested in any of them. So I don't know. I mean, that does seem bad. Seems like maybe they should have invested in them. Although I'm more, I am more realistic around when people leave a company, it's like, it's very rare that they, they maintain like a relationship with the company. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, of course they could have funded them, but like, it feels like it, not just Google, well, it feels like it never actually happens. So um, I don't know I exactly mean, the, why, the, the, but you know, it yeah, doesn't. there's probably, you know, they, there's also a bit of a like you got to put up a firewall with your previous employers be like you know look i'm not taking anything that i learned at google none of that is ip here you know so probably if i'm you know legal counsel for these people doing startups you're like you know you got to get you got to get you know google ventures to sign off that you know they're not coming after you at some point um and maybe i i, I don't know i i feel like that that could be an angle here um 
but clearly other companies have understood how to do, you know, spin out, spin ins um, and, and, you know, sticking and, and, you know, investing in the people who leave. Uh, this just feels like, you know, missed opportunity. Well, it feels like in a broader sense, it just feels like, you know, all companies go through this, like maybe like people go through like at some point, everyone has like a midlife crisis of some kind. And I just feel like this is Google's, right? It's just like this whole chat GPT thing is going on. It's obviously huge and it's going to have some type of impact on their business. Of course, they have a lot of expertise. Of course, they can get involved in it. But like, you know, um, like Sunrope Microsystems, it just reminds me of that as sort of like, how's Sun going to deal with Linux? And in the end, they did it. It really, you know, I, was, I remember being there kind of during part of that time. And it was just like, there are all these different ideas and lots of people trying, lots of people leaving the company. And it was just very hard to kind of get everyone going in one direction while, especially while the current business model was under attack. So I'm interested just from that standpoint of like, you know, Google's had such a long run of just kind of like, you know, almost no competition, almost endless money. So it is curious to see, you know, what are they going to do? And I think the biggest question is like, to me is like, when or if do they make a change at CEO? Because at some point, like that's going to be, because that's, that's all, I guess, in the end, that's what, kind of what people want. They want somebody, a person needs to change. It's like the, the new, uh, Newtonix thing we talked about before. Yeah. It's like, at the end of the day, it probably wasn't that person really, you know, literally installing the software. It's like she had to go down. And I think that's maybe the question that we're going to approach here in the next, say, six to 12 months. It's like, do they step in and be like, you're not the right person to lead the do, company? Do, do, do they need a, a wartime CEO? I feel like that's such a cliche. It's just like it's I don't totally really, a cliche. It doesn't ever like I, you know, I remember like I think we've been in some companies. It's always a venture capitalist that use this phrase. I'm always just like, I don't know. What are you talking about? Like, no, we just need a strategy. We need to be able to execute the goals, whether it's like we're facing competition or not. It's always the same. So now I will say this: It's just like sometimes you just got to bring in a new voice, right? That part I kind of get. Like you know, you've been around. You want someone to switch things up. And maybe that would, but I always think this, like that whole connotation, having worked in companies where they're quote unquote doing that, I've never noticed any distinct difference other than someone coming in and just trying some new stuff. And if that's quote unquote wartime, I don't know why we call it wartime. It seems, it just seems stupid in general. So um, it's going to be curious though. It's going to be very interesting to watch Google over. I mean, it's probably the most interesting thing to watch over the next say year. It's like, what do they do? Can they turn it around? Um, and I don't know. I'm I'm just curious to see it. Now, final thing we'll get to uh, talk about this week. You know, <laughs> Matt, you put this in here uh, and you pointed out the thing that was funny. So Twitter uh, open source, it's recommendation algorithm. So anyone can go read it. And uh, you, <laughs> you found the comment where they have a, uh, I guess they have a whole section where the author is Elon. So do you want to talk about like what the algorithm actually shows and like <sighs> how it kind of works, I guess, to, to a lay person? Yeah. So, so um you know, more power to them. They uh, they put the Twitter algorithm on uh, GitHub and uh, open sourced it so people could look. Um, I was kind of surprised uh, that they put the history up there too. I would have just, you know, blank slated it and said, here you go. <laughs> uh, because people started, you know, going through the history and found, you know, there literally was a, you know, is is tweet from Elon or, or whatever. And, you know, elevated it um and lots of other fingers on the scales for stories you know um is it you know uh is it is republican is democrat is you know um is philippines election info you know so i mean there were things that they were uh, clearly trying to influence one way or another um and you know you can take whatever conspiratorial aims you want from that uh 
I think one of the dangers here, uh, I mean, this is if, you know, if Twitter were, were still a, a functioning place. Um, one of the dangers here is like, now that we've seen the algorithm, you can look at it and figure out how to game it better. Um, but the the PRs that that came in were especially hilarious. You know, there was, uh, um, you know, there was one that just deleted everything that was like, you know, <laughs> please fix Twitter. And it was just, you know, removed 5,000 files. Slate. Yes. Blank slate. Uh, blankest of slates. Um, there was uh, please rewrite it in Rust, of course. Um, so you know there were uh, there were a lot of entertaining PRs. I think um, I don't really think it holds much benefit uh, for Twitter. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of downside here um, because you know they already have a spam problem, and letting people see how the spam engine works, or, or you know see how how the engine works, lets people fine tune their spam. Um, so I, I don't think this actually helps anything, uh, but you know, let's hear it for transparency, I guess. Um, yeah, well, I was trying to think of like, is there, I mean, maybe we'll just have to watch, like, does somebody offer up some type of like improvement that really makes it significantly better? That's accepted, of course. Right. That's actually, uh, if you, well, that's that's what I'm saying. Like who has to deal with the noise of these PRs? Yeah. I don't know the whole, I don't know. This, the whole thing just seems Everything, I guess it's kind of back to what we've talked about for like everything about it just seems wrong, but it's like fine. It, I guess it just seems like whatever if it makes people feel better, but it, but it is one of those weird things of like why they spend so much time and effort on getting it all out there. And I guess, I guess you're right. I guess transparency in itself is, is usually a good thing. So, um, but it, it, I don't know, just like the way that I guess they openly put, like you said before, their fingers on the scales, it just seems like, I don't know. I just, I just have a lot of bad feelings. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I, I it's going. this, this did not make me feel better about anything. So, all right, well, we'll, well see. It made me feel better about mostly leaving Twitter. <laughs> That's right. Well, maybe Matt, maybe you can, uh, um, you know, make some changes. You should and uh, submit them and see if you could get, maybe that would be uh, like a, some type of award for the first public uh, pull request that gets accepted. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's already happened. Like, like, what is it? And like, uh, who is that well, person? Well, yeah, the, the PRs that I submit are usually like spelling and typos. <laughs> I'm well, like, yeah, case be up where correctly? Start with the simplest, maybe just a spelling error. Like, why not? Yeah. Right. That would be, that would be fantastic. So, all right. Well, uh, that's about it this week as far as the news and the topics. Uh, a couple things uh, before we get out of here. One, if you'd like a sticker, just uh, go ahead and email your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. Also, if you want to hear uh, another podcast that I'm on, I, uh, Aaron and um, Brian over at the Cloudcast, let me sit in as a, a guest host with Aaron. We interviewed uh, uh, one of the venture capitalists, all, uh, author of Clouded Judgment, the, the newsletter. So you should go uh, listen to the Cloudcast if you're not already, but you can hear myself and Aaron talk all about uh, you know some of the things, uh, metrics about SaaS. So it was fun to be on the show. I appreciate doing it. And uh, uh, hopefully everyone will check out that episode. And Matt... Uh, oh, conferences as well. That's what I was going to yeah, yeah. Matt, are you and Cote, you still going to KubeCon uh, EU on the 21st? Yep, I'll, I'll be there, uh, Amsterdam. So You'll be there uh, and you'll be in the booth, it. right? I'll be at the kiosk. I'll be at the oh. open cost kiosk. And uh, be sure to stop by and say hi. And I might uh, recruit you to work the kiosk. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's good or bad. Also, uh, there's going to be a DevOps day in Birmingham, Alabama. So that's uh, Bull Tide War Eagle, April 20th and 21st. And then there's a DevOps day in Austin, of course. And that's May 4th and 5th. Now, uh, Matt, what is your recommendation this week? 
Uh, my pick for the week is um, it's uh, uh, an album from uh, Bernie Worrell. So if uh, if you're familiar with your P-Funk and uh, Funkadelic and Talking Heads and Bootsy Collins and you know all sorts of other like funk uh, classics, um, Bernie Worrell is kind of the the, the master of the keyboards. But uh, this is something pretty different. It's uh, an acoustic piano album from him. Um, apparently, it's the first time he's done something like this. It's it's just kind of a nice, quiet piano album. Um, uh, riffs on a couple of standards. And uh, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I just saw it recommended through my feed and, um, you know, checked it out. And uh, I think it's worth listening to. All right. Like it. Always uh, something to get. And make sure you use your tape adapter in your, uh, in your, in your car. <laughs> 88.1 on your dial. 88.1. That's right. The FM... Uh, your FM transmitter adapter. I'm gonna have to go look that up, Matt. I want to see if someone's if they still sell that. That must I'm be sure they do. Yeah. crazy. It brings back some good memories for for some reason. Um, my recommendation this week is uh, it's a little bit long, but I thought it was worth it. Uh, I watched this video, YouTube video. It's basically about two hours where uh, I forgot the name, so but the links here. Um, where the author basically goes through and shows you how to build, uh, you know, essentially a little chat GPT from scratch. And, you know, so you basically need a little bit of Python skills, a little bit of familiarity with, you know, kind of just basic math yep. and some matrix stuff. And uh, it's it's definitely dense. So I'm like, it's not if you will. It, it, it was linked from that Steve Yeggy article, right? Yeah, I think so. And it was yeah. um, I, I, I downloaded. It. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. So. so it's really well done. It's really well done. And I had to watch a couple of sections uh, a couple of times to really get it. But nonetheless, it's like if you're interested in sort of like demystifying what it is and like, I guess, you know, spoiler alert, it's like everything. It's like someone's basically going to show you how they take these complicated things and turn it into all these mathematics. And of course, computers are good at math. And then you kind of see. But it was really interesting to kind of see how, if you will, the patterns, how they kind of convert them into math and these different matrix uh, and then they use that to kind of figure out how to do, if you will, um, you know, the look ahead. And uh, and so, of course, they show like some very simple examples, which really kind of helped me just understand it. And then, of course, you kind of get a sense of like, oh, wow, like, you know, all the millions and millions of things that it's kind of looking through and learning from. That's the part where like your head starts to explode, but at least you kind of know what's happening. So yeah. uh, if you're kind of in- interested in this and you kind of want to know more and demystify it, uh, definitely watch it, but you definitely, it's one of those things you can't watch it with your phone out. Like you need to be paying attention. So make sure you're in that kind of mood uh, to check it out. And uh, maybe you, you can then go out and build yourself uh, the world's greatest uh, chat GPT. And uh, you can just tell them and the people at Software Define Talk inspired you. That's all we'd ask for. So uh with that we will uh, talk to you next week bye-bye yeah it was it was brutal um because i afterwards i was like this is the most tired i've ever felt in my life